Hello world, this is Better Tech, a podcast where we chat with some of the most successful leaders about the latest industry developments. So join us as we explore the world reliant on tech. My name is Joel. I'm a UX professional. Uh, I've been in the UX and creative fields for a number of years now, over a decade now in counting. And uh, really, I think through the whole process of you know, becoming a designer all the way through now uh, co-starting or, you know, co-founding two companies, um, I think has been an interesting journey of one from a UX professional and designer and everything that's kind of gone in that process to really one of understanding the business of design and how that impacts not only uh, the opportunities that I've been fortunate enough to work with early stage companies and enterprise clients. And more importantly, I think is this whole notion of how do we actually build products and services that people actually want. And so throughout my career, there's really been this two main pillars, which is design and technology. And ironically enough, right, everything that I've been doing for over a decade now stems from those two areas. And, you know, user experience uh, has been really the core tenet for not only my career, but now as an instructor and as a mentor and, and a lot of the work that I do within the local community here in Miami, uh, I think it's been an interesting journey from, you know, everything that has to do from early stage companies and how I help them um, build their products and systems and ultimately leading into enterprise level clients and the work that I've done to help them launch uh, a number of different platforms and help them understand what is actually happening in their business so they can either hire someone um, to help them in their digital strategy or product strategy, or more importantly, they can actually do that themselves. And so that's really, I think, been the, the full process, uh, you know, that, that I've been engaged with for, you know, uh, a number of years now. So very excited. And, and I think, you know, now as we start getting into this whole new um, you know, sort of dynamic of people working from home and everything else that's been going on, as, as we all know, um, I think it's, it's been interesting to see the same strategies being applied um, and I think actually scaling those efforts where we knew all those things were coming already. And so now I think it's just been expedited uh, in terms of these new technologies and how we can best help and support people no matter where you're at. And speaking of that, so it's 2020, start of the new decade, and a lot of things have been happening in the UX space and, you know, like going forward, a lot of new developments are taking place. So UX, so our topic for today is the future of UX, right? So if you could like explain it in a very concise terms, why organizations should be investing heavily in their UI UX department? Well, I think UX is really experience, right? Um, and I think the more that you start going through the investment of marketing or anything that you can do around, um, you know, bringing the right talent pool or understanding, you know, where there may be gaps in your design process. I think any organization that is looking to improve um, the way that they do business, right, from increased productivity to, um, you know, how do you want to make sure that you can do the right type of sales funnel or, if you want to decrease some of the training costs or support costs um, as an organization, right? If you um, want to reduce the amount of time that it takes to bring a product to market, and more importantly, you want to know that you're bringing the right product to market, um, or you want to make sure that you improve your, uh, your NPS, right? So what's your net promoter score? A lot of the work that I do with enterprise level clients, um, and this kind of dives a little more into this whole concept of service design, which I think we can go deeper in, in, in future conversations or, or webinars. But um, this aspect of, you know, the, the new way that we do business online 
it all stems from what is the experience that I want to create? It used to be brick and mortar and online. I think now everything is shifting, right? We see that with a number of restaurants who perhaps didn't have a website and they were not equipped to be able to support, right? Um, any type of online business, whether you were selling t-shirts or you had any type of brick and mortar business, if you were thinking about building a digital presence and you essentially, you know, um, did not invest in the user experience that someone would be going through, look what's happened, right? Usually the businesses who were at least uh, mindful enough to be able to have some digital presence, whether that's an app, a website, or any other mediums, have been able to do much better, right, over the next several months or the next, you know, last few months, um, as opposed to those who are kind of got, got caught uh, flat-footed, right, as we say. <laughs> um, and so I think understanding your customer, understanding how your customer engages with any channel within your company, and by channel, meaning like any, any medium where, through which they can purchase or be engaged with you, um, I, I think it's crucial, right? And I think one of the things that I see quite often with my clients and, and the people that I, that I work with is that if you don't understand ultimately how you're servicing your customers or your clients or your partners, then it's going to make it very difficult to figure out how they can actually uh, continue to do business with you or even within the organization, right? I see this a lot when we do um, kind of any type of software or HR as an example, right? If, if the process is cumbersome, if they don't really feel like there's a good communication internally and, and it, it makes it difficult to engage with others, that's all part of user experience, right? You can look at tools like Slack or email or, you know, any number of them that if, if people cannot get to the desired outcome based on the tools and services that they use, then I think that influence everything from culture all the way through whether or not you can stay in business. You mentioned that you have worked with clients of like across companies of all sizes, right? You've worked with startups and you work with enterprises. So, and you have a lot of experience in designing and building innovative digital products. What are the three key ways in your opinion that UX industry has evolved going into 2020? Wow. Well, I mean, I, going into 2020 um, and I think be, even before that, right? There's been a number of different tendencies that we've seen, um, especially over the last three to five years, I would say. Um, and I think it really stems from the fact that it's no longer acceptable, right, as a UX professional to just have a portfolio or to just be able to build a pretty website. I think that there's been um, the, the commodity of design or especially the commodity of good design that's been out there. Um, you know, technologies like, you know, Sketch, Figma, uh, Envision. I mean, there's so many tools out there for prototyping. There's so many tools out there, um, you know, to be able to get a pretty decent design, quite honest. Um, I think it has really um, leveled everyone's work in this process where before you would just, you know, get a pretty design, apply it or buy a nice template, apply it. And then there you go, right? You have a website. <laughs> Now, because everything looks good, or at least the majority of things, you know, it's the, the barrier of entry has been lowered so much, right, um, that we're seeing this resurgence of um, the work that we do in research, strategy, business, right, where the designing of an experience is no longer about the interface. It's important, right? Don't get me wrong. I mean, there's, there's definitely areas you have to have a baseline of, yes, make sure that it's functional, that it's, you know, it's something that is usable and desirable, 
But I think more and more, at least in my practice, I've seen this need to be thinking of business and be thinking of, um, you know, organizational design or whether you're looking at disciplines like service design or now, um, you know, some of the clients that we're working with now, we do a lot of work around conversational design. So there's the disciplines that were always there, but because we were so busy as UX or creative professionals working on the interfaces, now that that's no longer a barrier, now that you can literally get that up and running in a matter of, you know, <laughs> in hours, um, it forces us as, as professionals and, and as business owners and as companies to start thinking more holistically about what is the experience that we're designing. So I think in short, you know, in 2020 and even before we got into this, this whole new reality, it's really about understanding the context for which we're designing and realizing that we've gone from a very um, technical approach to one that is more social, right? So how are people interacting with any number of products? What are the things that we need to be thinking about as designers so that we craft the right experiences? And we're doing that with business in mind because at the end of the day, right, whether you're an early stage company or you're, or you're a multinational, it's all about understanding the customer's needs and building products and services that really address them at, at their core. And how have emerging technologies like AR, VR changed conventional design thinking? Do you think that these things have somewhat made it difficult for conventional designers to do their work? So I think with any technology, I mean, I'm reminded of, you know, we, we saw this advent of, you know, going from the initial web, right? Um, where now people were designing, you know, websites with text editors, right? <laughs> At the very beginning. And then we've kind of transitioned into kind of this, this different type of um, experiences online where they were more rich right? Or you now started looking at, you know, the advent of mobile technologies and the impact that that had. I think that this is just another channel. And I think the more that we start to understand their capabilities around augmented or virtual or mixed reality, um, the more that we can start seeing for what purpose do we want to use them? And one of the things that I've seen quite a bit, and I know because, you know, I, I, I'm a founder of a tech company in the, the VR space or augmented reality space, is that too often when it comes down to not just design thinking, but any discipline, we tend to just um, kind of attach, right? As an afterthought, oh, now I'm doing this in this platform or in this technology. One of the, one of the things that I usually mention is, you know, when, when we would go out uh, with my tech company, which, you know, we're focusing on doing um, augmented and virtual reality for commercial real estate, um, or we do the same type of services for cities and municipalities, one of the things that usually you get pushback is like, oh, we already do, we already do VR or we already have, you know, VR. And it's yeah. almost like saying like, no, we already do internet, right? And so I think more so than looking at this as how augmented or virtual reality have influenced a specific industry or a discipline like design thinking, I think that we have to switch entirely our perspective towards how we see these technologies as enablers and as opposed to just looking at it as a new wow factor of, oh, now I can use, you know, using the context of design thinking, oh, I can do my, all my work in design thinking using these technologies. I think that it's more about understanding the relationship of those technologies with your audience. And in the concept of design thinking, as an example, if we can think about VR or XR as an enabler of empathy, and we, we're starting to see this now in a lot of the new films, right, that are out there or different 
of film festivals where they're using these technologies to further empathize right with the type of user so that you can really be there see and feel exactly what someone would feel right in a in a slum somewhere in the world or you can really use them to drive a narrative of you know hey within the context that you're looking at right now here's what other elements could be important and we overlay that over someone's you know physical environment and so from that way i've seen a lot of great examples of how these technologies can help but they're not going to change the frameworks of design thinking or ux or technology or you know or any 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 way that we communicate for that matter it's just a more enhanced channel and a deeper way of understanding how we can actually convey a message or help someone understand exactly what the value is that we're delivering for them. And so I was just reading an article the other day. It said that the future of UX design lies in the designer's ability to master human-centered principles, such as empathy, storytelling. How far do you agree with the statement? Like you said, that these new technologies are kind of helping move that empathy. So is this something that you see going forward that really having a big impact well, I think we've seen it already. Um, and I think now there's more of this awareness that we talked about, right? Where the technology is gonna continue to evolve, but what doesn't change is our ability to communicate with other humans. What doesn't change is our ability to tell stories. And within the storytelling is how do we then use those stories to deliver value? And I think that's one of the biggest challenges that we're seeing and, and in my practice, you've seen this resurgence of, um, you know, marketing and the impact that marketing plays into um, any type of product or service. You know, I joke around with a lot of my, my tech founders, right, where, you know, you spend, you know, 20, 30 years in a career to essentially, you know, be able to actually start your own business. And then you start your own business and now you have to build a product, right, or you start a company, early stage company, which is usually what I would come in. And I would find, right, that there was a lot of people that we would essentially say, hey, look, I already, I'm an expert in this field. I spent 30 years in insurance, or I spent 30 years in real estate, or I spent 30 years in you know, corporate. And because of that, I saw this opportunity. And now I want to build a product or a company. So that's usually when I would kind of get the call. And now we would have to figure out what type of product we would, we would you know, be able to build and go through all these different stages right? that you go through as an incubator or an accelerator. And then at the end of that, then you have to figure out, well, once that's done, that we just have to market it, right? Then, then we'll get other people to do that. And I think more and more, as I've seen it in other, you know, uh, founder stories, and I've seen it in my own, you know, uh, experience in, in launching two tech companies, that we're seeing a lot of these different areas kind of merge, right? And whether you're talking about business or copywriting or product design or engineering or whatever, right? It's all encompassing of the story that we want to tell others. So why is it that I'm launching this new company or this amazing product? Um, but our, our ability to articulate that message in a way that's effective for someone and that more importantly, it's not about just our story, it's about understanding our customer's story as it relates to the value that we're delivering. And so that's where I think this whole notion of storytelling becomes so important. And I think it's much broader than just what am I building, but you know, how am I helping someone in achieving their goals, right? Which we can get more into that. And a lot of the work that I do is in, um, you know, emotional intelligence and psychology and things that were not a typical path, I think, as a, uh, you know, trained, you know, design professional or as someone who has come more from a, from a background of technology and, and really focus on the execution of that technology 
the more that I've seen this transition um, into this human aspect of it, the more that I've seen the need to really dive deep into this whole notion of psychology or coaching. And, and that's really influenced a lot of the work that I do with most of my clients. And I think it's been uh, an interesting process of discovery for myself, but I've seen the results that that can deliver when you go outside of just the, the umbrella of just UX or just design or just tech. I actually wanted to talk a bit more about just this thing that you mentioned. How do you combine your background and experience to help clients reach their goals? And do you feel that there is sometimes, maybe across clients that you work with, do you feel that there's a disconnect between the way that these technologies are meant to augment design skills and the desired outcome? So addressing the first one, I, I think everything that I've done up until now, um, you know, they say that there's, there's really two ways of learning or uh, advancing your career and your life, right? One is through inspiration and the other is through desperation. <laughs> well, in my case, it was a little bit of both. And I think that the more that you start seeing a lot of these technologies or these frameworks fail, um, the more that it forces you to think outside of, well, what is it about this framework that, you know, has worked really well within one context, but when applied in a different context, it doesn't work. And I think that stems from my, my experience in working with early stage companies, where I think we tend to generalize so often, or like, oh, this is the way you do this. This is the way you launch an app, or this is the way you launch, you know, whatever, right? Um, where in reality, if you're not building the right culture, if you're not building the right dynamics, or if you don't understand your customer, you can have the perfect framework. But if you're not able to communicate that effectively, and moreover, if you have different types of communication, or, you know, you don't have the right maturity levels as it relates to technology or UX. And, and we could talk more about exactly what that means, but it's, it's almost like planting on the wrong soil, right? So you can have the right seed, but it's not going to actually take ground because you're not um, taking care of the, the environment where that needs, where that seed needs to kind of grow and flourish. And so I think that at the end of the day, no matter how um, sophisticated your skills might be, or it doesn't matter how great the opportunity might be, if you don't understand the context of humans, right, and psychology and people and, you know, this, this whole notion of how do you develop influence, right, through being congruent with not only what you do, but more importantly, um, how do you create the right level of buy-in? That's what forced me to go into a, a very different path on, you know, organizational design and beyond design thinking, looking at concepts of um, uh, NLP, right? So neuro-linguistic programming and emotional intelligence and all this coaching career, right, that I, that I started almost on the side. And the more that I would basically understand these concepts, the better the research would become. The more that I basically was able to articulate ultimately what I wanted and why that was important for the, for the company or for the team, um, the, the better results we got in terms of the, the team chemistry. So there's, there's so many examples I think that I can, that I can share with you, which is like how this cross-pollination of disciplines, right? Uh, and for everyone, it's slightly different. For me, it was coaching design and technology, right? But I'm sure that there's other people that have a, a deep interest in areas, but the, the human component, I can't stress enough how valuable that is within this context of, um, you know, creating the right products and services, especially when we're doing this in, in a customer-centric way. So, I'm saying that all of these new shifts that are happening in the tech space, right? Mm -hmm. So what do all of these developments mean for a designer going forward? And what are some of like the essential tips that you would give to someone that is just starting their career, for instance? 
Um, so I, this is a question I get a lot, right? As I mentioned, I do quite a bit of work with, um, you know, UX bootcamp grads. I've done mentoring. And I, I think the reason why I'm so passionate about this is that I didn't have all the tools that are out there, right, in, in my career development. <laughs> and so I think that the, the faster as designers um, and creative professionals that we can, you know, acknowledge the tools, understand that those tools are important, but those tools are going to change, right? I, as I go back to my original training and, and everything that I've gone through over the past, you know, 15, 18 years, I've realized that what hasn't changed is, you know, if, if you're really focused on not just the outcome, but how you can help people get to that outcome and why do they even want to go there, right? The vehicle is going to change. The direction stays the same. And so the more that you can start aligning yourself, your career, your value system to who it is that you want to um, become as opposed to what it is that I'm getting. And, and that's something that I've seen quite a bit, right? You go through a boot camp or you go through any education process. And at the end of that is this job hunt, right? Even, even the psychology of like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hunt. I'm going to job hunt. And I'm, I'm mm -hmm. like, well, that's not, it's, it's not something that's serving you or it's serving the company, right? You, nobody wants to be hunted, <laughs> right? Or nobody wants to basically feel like, you know, they're, you're like, one of the questions that I get a lot is like, well, how do I actually get into this company? Or, you know, they're really offering good benefits or they're really doing all these things that it's all about me, 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 me. Where in reality, sometimes the worst thing that can happen is that you do get hired for a company where there's not the right fit. And so ultimately understanding who is it that I want to become in the next three years and mapping out exactly, right? What are the types of skills? Who is the type of people that you want to meet? What are the specific areas uh, of opportunity that you're interested in and aligning or building, right, your own career path out of that as opposed to waiting for someone to tell you that you're good enough to be able to kind of work at a company. And I think that's as it relates to like the, the dynamic of people entering the, the, the industry. But I think what happens even when you enter the industry, we, we pride ourselves, and I know because I've done this, we pride ourselves in how many, how many tools we know how to use, how many softwares. Well, guess what? right? I've been doing this for a long time. And to this day, there's no way you're going to learn every software. And even if you do, like, is that really going to serve you? <laughs> right? So sometimes it's being able to do um, more with less and understanding that if I'm uniquely positioned to help someone get to their outcome, I can do it with the latest and greatest tech and prototyping tools and, you know, whatever frameworks. Or if I can just sit down with them in, you know, in a 20, 30 minute session, really just listen and understand what their deep concerns and needs are. So whether that's um, someone in my team, whether that's someone in leadership, whether that's clients, whether that's, you know, insert, you know, person that you want to help here, then that sets the foundation. And whether you're doing it with, you know, um, an app, where you're doing it with a website, or in my, my preference, right, I usually start everything with like early stage, like paper prototyping, and it's more of a collaboration process. Well, what happens is that the tool becomes less relevant. But what does become relevant is your ability to understand their needs at the deepest level and create a path so that you can now co-create a solution. That usually tends to have the best results. And so if there's one piece of advice that I would give, you know, kind of my previous self, right, or someone getting into the industry, is that while it's important to understand all these tools and systems, A, you're not going to learn them all because there's, you know, there's so many of them and there's, you know, I feel like that just keeps accelerating. 
But if you don't understand the, the exact process or more importantly, what role you play and who do you want to become in that, um, then I think it makes it a very difficult journey. Uh, and, and one that I hope that if, if anyone is listening, you realize that if you get back to the basics of who you are and, you know, through that skill or gift or whatever it is that you're interested in. So if you're someone who perhaps, you know, knows a lot about music, right? And you made the transition from that into design. And then from design, now you're building maybe your own company and on consulting. Well, then probably work with people in the music industry, right? Because that's what you're going to know. So it's not about who's hiring, but it's how do I want to expand and leverage what I know already? Uh, and so that's, I think, one of the things that a lot of people that I've seen within the community or within the different types of um, students and, and people that I've been fortunate enough to mentor or guide, um, those who've been able to leverage their previous experience as it relates to design or as it relates to the value they want to deliver are usually the ones that have the best results. Okay, all right. So you started your career as a design profession, right? So what was the defining moment in your life where you thought that you want to get more into the mentoring side? I think that you don't really choose to be a mentor. Um, just like you don't choose what you're famous for. Um, mm -hmm. Mentorship for me came as a, as a result of just being frustrated with the fact that I kept seeing the same story with different faces. And the, the story would usually start something like, you know, I, I've been doing design for this amount of years. Now I've noticed that I can't find a job or, you know, I've, I've gone through this whole boot camp and it's, it's great. But, you know, I have 15 years experience doing this type of work. And now I'm starting as a junior role. I mean, there's, there's so many different areas where I think that imposter syndrome shows up everywhere, right? So no matter where you're at within your career path, imposter syndrome is real, right? And the more that you start to see that it's, you know, all about how we reframe our current conditions, and understanding that, you know, the 20% the that are mechanics, right, as one of my mentors says, and the 80% of psychology, we usually don't work in that 80%, which is why it's been such a, a, a blessing for me to bring now all these skills that I have been working on for a number of years, right, and, and all the work that I've done in personal development for over, you know, a decade. And once I started to empathize, right, and, and really in, in software development, they call it dog fooding, right? Where like you're, you're eating your own thing, right? You're understanding, hey, if, if I believe that there's these frameworks around design thinking or UX or whatever, right? And these are effective. Well, could I use that? If I can solve any problem for a business, what if I was to use those same skills and apply them to myself? And that's where you start to see this experimentation process take hold, right? And that experimentation process helps you to identify, and, and that's the one part that as designers, as, you know, creative or UX professionals, we're very keen on. So we're good at understanding, hey, where is the problem? How do I fix it? But when it comes to ourselves, it somehow it's like we just become incapable of fixing our own problems. I'm like, well, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> right? And, and the more that you start to see not only frameworks in, you know, design or UX, but you start to see ultimately, um, you know, tools like neuro-linguistic programming or different levels of um, organizational design, or you start to implement disciplines around, um, you know, what creates flow, right? Or, or this, you know, hyper-focus or, you know, what creates productivity, all these things that I had been learning and I didn't know that I had within me. Um, but I wanted to break through someone, right? Whether that's a student or a founder or someone in my sphere of influence 
So to answer your question, when it became more about helping others, right, and realizing that for me to continue to grow in my career, it wasn't about me achieving more, right? It was about me getting to a point of contribution. I think mentoring just became a natural process that I was doing without me knowing that I was doing. It's kind of like when you're riding a bike and all of a sudden you realize, oh, this is something new. Like I, I didn't realize that I was doing this already, but you start to see people come back to you. It's like, hey, you know, this thing that you told me, it really made an impact. Or you start to see, um, you know, that you have a moral obligation, um, depending on where you're at in your career. And, and that's one thing that I tell a lot of people, like you don't have to be at the top of the mountain to help other people. And when I went through the process that um, I was fortunate enough to teach and, and, you know, be an instructor at a local um, university and boot camps, and the more that I would just feel a sense of um, responsibility and, and not just responsibility, but it was, it was a, a process of helping someone along the way I wish I would have been helped. Um, then I think this whole new career, right, and this whole process of getting more involved with the local community and, and you know, eventually leading to uh, running a couple organizations here in the, local, um, in the local area. But you have to be a steward of your discipline. You have to be a steward of your craft. Yeah, and the only, way you can, the only way you can do that is by helping others, right, who are in their journey. And what's the one thing that perhaps still frustrates you about the UX industry? Something that you'd like to see change? <laughs> well, there's a lot of things that frustrate me, but I think it starts with the fact that UX is, has become almost like this buzzword, right? Every person now does UX. Um, and it's, I mean, I think there's, there's merit to that, right? If you're a graphic designer and you're doing interfaces and all of a sudden you're like, oh, okay, I, I think I'm now going to be a UX designer because A, usually they get paid more and I've done a lot of websites. Uh, I know because we all kind of start that way, whether you whether you come from a, from a background of design or strategy. But one of the things that I've seen, at least in our local environment, is that there's not a very good process to really vet people. Um, and, and I think that's one area that we're all kind of responsible for. And I think that leads into, you know, understanding what is the maturity level within an organization. And by maturity level, meaning, you know, how far along are you in terms of really leadership driving everything that has to do with user experience and owning that as opposed to having this be an afterthought. And there's so many agencies, so many companies that I've, that I've worked at where I think it's, it's almost like a badge of like, oh yeah, we do UX, but doing UX is no different than just doing internet, right? Like it's, you have to really understand that UX is a vehicle to really build, it's a culture, right? And the more that you start to do that from the top down, then the easier it becomes for everyone to kind of grow into the, the right type of roles. And so I think one of the things that frustrates me is a lot of companies and individuals, quite frankly, that I think look at UX as an afterthought, as opposed to really building it within the culture of a company. And how do you differentiate between, let's say, a person who says that they know UX design, but according to you, it's not really UX? Um, so it's not so much according to me. I think to me, it's like, the, remember when you go, went, to, went to school and you had a math problem, right? And imagine if there was a, a place um, that you can go in and just get the math problem results. And they just show you, oh, this beautifully designed. Oh, look, here's the result for this you know, equation that you gave me. Okay, great. But then if you go back, it's like, how did you get there? <laughs> right? And they have nothing, right? Like, oh, that's just what it is. Here's the problem. Here's Without the answer. understanding the process. 
Exactly, right? And UX, it's messy. You, most people think that UX is like, oh, look, all this amazing, you know, interfaces and all this mock-ups and, and yeah, it looks great, right? But that's not UX. Like that's, you're the design, which is awesome, right? But if you don't really understand how you got there and how messy it got to that point, hey, I did this testing and I, I iterated and I did interviews and I went back and, oh, look, all the, all the things that took me to get to this, you know, realization. And maybe it looks a little scrappy. Maybe it's something that is not, you know, polished. And that's usually like the way that I, I would, you know, when I would hire right people for the different companies that, that I've been involved with. And I, I usually call it like the deer in the headlights exam, right? Or test an interview, which is you give someone a problem, you give them a, you know, one of those um, dry erase uh, markers and you give them a whiteboard. I don't care how pretty, right? Or how amazing, you know, your portfolio is, help you understand this. And that's usually when you can tell right away, right? From a true UX designer to a UI designer. Fair enough. Yep. So thanks, Joel, once again for being on Belltech and taking the time out for this. No problem. This is great. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to Belltech. We look forward to bringing you the latest industry news in our next episode. In the meantime, check out our other episodes at techcell.com slash podcast and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel so that you never miss an episode.